here we go. The John Curley, Sherry Elliger Show. Starring Sherry Elliger and the great one, Jackie Gleason. All right, you happy with that? Yeah, I like it. Good. Dabbing it. All right, no more Dilbert. No more Dilbert. This guy's been uh, tweeting a lot and putting a lot of stuff out for a while now about a bunch of political things. And then finally, I guess he's crossed the line when he comes out with a, a study that he looked at. Explain Well, does he explain most of it in this cut, Jacob? Do I need to do a lot of lifting for Scott Adams or no? I don't think so. All right, here goes Scott. Everybody? If you know, nearly half of all blacks uh, are not okay with white people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, uh, that's a hate group. That's a hate group. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I would say, you know, based on the current way things are going, the best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the away. Wherever you have to go, just get away. Because there's no fixing this. This can't be fixed. Right? This can't be fixed. You just have to escape. So that's what I did. I went to a neighborhood where, you know, I have a very low black population. Because unfortunately, you know, there's a high correlation between the density. And this is according to Don Lemon, by the way. Um, So here I'm just quoting Don Lemon. When, when he notes that the, when he lived in a uh, mostly black neighborhood, there were a bunch of problems that he didn't see in white neighborhoods. So even Don Lemon sees a big difference in your own quality of living based on where you live and who's there. So I, I think it makes no sense whatsoever as a uh, white citizen of America to try to help black citizens anymore. It doesn't make sense. It's no longer a rational impulse, and so I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna back off from being helpful to Black America because it doesn't seem like it pays off. Like I've been doing it all my life, and I've been the only outcome is I be, I get called a racist. That's the only outcome. <laughs> it makes no sense to help Black Americans if you're white. Uh, the the it's over. Don't don't even think it's worth trying. <clears throat> okay, moving on. Yeah, he uh, he really. <laughs> I mean, he, he's in big trouble. He uh, got dropped by the Washington Post. Um, Gannett dropped it. Uh, him. He's got. There's. They have over two hundred newspapers, uh-huh. and of course, the um, Seattle Times. Here was what Seattle Times said about it. Uh, Adams' grievances conveniently ignore centuries of oppressive power dynamics which have excluded black people and other marginalized communities from the security and prosperity to which all Americans aspire. Mm-hmm. Instead of inviting others to share in the nation's promises, he angrily defends the status quo that privileges his own in group. Um, it says mm-hmm. that we believe in the Seattle Times in treating people with respect and honoring diversity in our community. We strive to cover this region in a way that includes those of all backgrounds and with varied life experiences. Oh, yeah. The Seattle Times is just as guilty as any other media organization as promoting uh, distrust anger and resentment between the racist as the rest of media organizations are did you see the piece i sent you from newsweek 
I did, yes. So interesting study that was done. Every year, a study is done from um, black-white relations. This is done by, who does this one? Uh, media outlet, okay. So from 2022, or from uh, 2002 to 2013, 70% of Americans believe race relations were good. That dropped by half in 2014. And then as the media continued to do stories about black men unarmed being killed by police, and they kept pushing all of that, and then they went back to it again, and then you, what do you know when you ask people again, hey, how are race relations? Horrible. And when you ask them, you know, what percentage of blacks that are unarmed being killed by police, people say, oh, it's like a 1,000 or 10,000 or whatever it is. It's just, it's purely political. So the media pushes the narrative and reports the stories they want to report for whatever the reason is, and then people go, well, I guess it's really, really bad when it's not as bad. New York City, 1970, on average, 300 people were being killed every single year by New York City police. You know how much it is now? 34. Mm -hmm. But if you only believe what the media pushes on this sort of stuff, so for every white guy that is killed that is unarmed by police, and that story goes untold, and only the stories that care to get told, not the stories of a six-year-old kid that is shot and killed in the crossfire of gang shootings that is occurring in inner cities or in uh, St. Uh, Louis, um, East, East St. Louis, those stories don't get told, only the stories they want you to tell. So the question goes back to what re responsibility does the media have to cover all or none rather than giving this false impression that things are so bad and that black people are being killed indiscriminately and the president of the United States coming out with every single day someone should not worry that their child is going to die at the hands of the police. So I have the quote. I sent it to you earlier. If you continue to promote this idea, people will start to believe it, and now enough people believe it. So now a survey that he was referring to is what? Was it, what was the question of the survey? Is it okay to be white or something like that? Uh, so the question was whether or not, yeah, it's some, something like that. Is it okay to be white? And what he was upset about was that according to uh, black adults, 53% said, yes, it's okay to be white. 26% disagreed with that uh, statement, and 21% said they were not sure. So his reaction was... If that's the way people feel, I mean, this, you know, that's what, that's what angered him so much is that he felt as though that was an indicator of, of, you know, um, the, the racism that exists, uh, you know, uh, among black people against white people. In the particular story that you had about Newsweek, the question in the thing was, um, do you believe that white Republicans are racist? Mm -hmm. And along then the correlation is that 70 percent of white Americans that answered yes to that question and 95 percent of black Americans who answered yes to that question that are agreed with the statement white Republicans are racist. They believe that young black men were more likely to be shot by the police than to be killed in a traffic accident when the uh, reality sorry, yeah. is it's yeah. 10 times more likely that anybody will be killed in a car accident versus being uh, killed by a police officer. Yeah. Here's Joe Biden's quote. Imagine if every time your husband or son, wife or daughter left the house, 
you fear for their safety. That is the norm for black people in this nation, and you don't have to imagine it. Joe, you're a hack. And for somebody who says they ran in order to unite the soul of America, you're doing nothing to unite anybody's soul. And the media that is responsible for this as well, and you could point to the story of Sheriff Ed Troyer, which they always described as white Ed Troyer and the black newspaper carrier. They always bring up the color of the person's skin when it's to fit the narrative or at least to create the impression that there's something more going on behind the scenes. It's awful that this happens. Awful. Thomas Sowell wrote a book um, uh, about rednecks, and I forget the name of the official title of the book. And I read it, and um, it's interesting because Sowell said the behavior of the those that came from the U.K. that settled in the South, horrible people. I mean, just awful killing and maiming and fighting and just terrible. It was from... Uh, Parts of the UK settling the Southwest, or settling the South part of the United States, just disgusting, awful, just drinking and no work and illiterate. And a lot of the behavior that was occurring there in the South from white folks from the UK, that became predominant somehow in the South. So you would have a literacy rate in the South where you had people that were able to read. They were up in nor- up in the North. So in Connecticut and Rhode Island and Massachusetts, where 90% of blacks were able to read, you had an illiteracy rate in the South. It was part of the culture that had been predominantly created by these people that had come to the South from the UK and had settled in that part of the South. And he looks at it and studies it from that perspective. Those that Blacks that uh, uh, immigrated to the north for better education, for better jobs, left that culture behind in most cases. Some did not, but that was predominantly sort of seated there at that time. This guy doesn't, the Dilbert guy doesn't do anything. Listen, he obviously has enough money because he knows he was cutting his own throat when he put this thing on video, right? It's not like more people like, oh, I want to order another more hundred Dilbert jokes about the fax machine and the copier being out, right? He knew. Well, I mean, I didn't even realize that comic strip was still being produced. I mean, it's not terribly relevant. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is not the first time he's gone out on a limb and and people have have noticed that he's made, you know, a lot of racist remarks. He at one point said he identified as black because he wanted to be on the winning team. Um, And then something else came out and he said, now I want to identify back as white. So he's he's been provocative for a very long time on this subject. He's pointing out sometimes the absurdity of all that sort of stuff, right? Listen, if you're a weak leader, Mussolini's done it, Hitler did it, uh, uh, Julius Caesar did it, the first thing you have to do is divide and conquer. So you divide people by groups, and then you're able to conquer. So then you put you pit one against the other, black against white, rich against poor, whatever you want to do. It's the weakest form of leadership. It's the easiest way to lead, which is to break in half and then destroy the other side. So you get the one side that hates the other side, and then you continually foment the anger. And the media does this every single day. You can watch tons of video of police officers shooting and killing white guys and those names don't ever man but then you get the other stuff the other way those are the stories that they want to do and then it gets back to why 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 do this why create 
Why create the animosity and the space between the two? What is the ultimate point of doing that? Why do you allow people to believe that every single day, like Joe Biden said, there, that this is happening, that this, that, that all these killings are going on? Why do that? You have a greater chance of being shot and killed by a police officer if you're white than if you're black. That's a fact. But that, ooh, ooh, ah, but that goes against people's uh, lived experience. But again, it's like we had that guy on. I, I, I appreciate the representative street came on to talk on Friday about this bill regarding the, you know, broken taillights and stuff here. But I listened back to the interview. I think what originally, here's my theory on what happened. I think originally they were going to push it as the police are disproportionately pulling over certain drivers of a certain color as, a co- as opposed to another. I think they realized that's not going to sell. So let's do it this way. Let's sell it this way. It's better use of the police time to not pull over somebody with a broken taillight. Mm-hmm. So then you you give the nod to the cops like you're we love you and we respect you so much. We want to respect your time. So don't bother with a broken taillight. I think that's they they looked at it like let's let's sort of shave it and put it in that position as opposed to the disparity thing of how many people are getting stopped. But again, this does nothing for anyone. Nothing for anyone. Whether this guy says it or whether you have Malcolm X talking about everybody, let's go back to Ghana and let's set up our own and we don't need to be segregated. We need to be separated. We need to have our own economies and our own schools and our own businesses and we don't need to be held back you know this idea of separating the races no one benefits no one benefits when we don't see the humanity of the individual we only see the immutable characteristics of the individual one of the things i thought was surprising about the research that the the guy did in the newsweek article was that he noticed or for for his when in, in doing his research he noticed that college educated black people uh were significantly more likely to be offended by microaggressions which is something like if you say i don't see race or i i um i'm colorblind those kinds of things and he attributes that to um you know, you would think people that the, the more educated people are, the more they would be able to see through some things and, and have, you know, develop their own opinions about things. But he believes that's because of the left ideas that are presented in colleges on race and that it what it's done is it's made everyone in, you know, it, in college today that are being influenced far more sensitive to race and far more um interested in in being uh, aware of it like you know like they they're interpreting things as racist because they're mm-hmm. being they're being taught that that everything potentially has a racist uh lean you know could be a racist leaning thing that someone said and so uh they i guess his research is that you know that's not only being supported by the media the media is is doing a, a lot to continue this uh this narrative but it's also being done in the in schools yeah but then he said in his survey those that didn't go to college when you asked about they're not offended by it they don't bother them they don't want to do with mm-hmm. it right yeah so it's it you see where it's coming from and i think the people that in the, the world of journalism quote unquote journalism they are already so baked in this stuff so baked into them that they just naturally see they don't even see that they are bias in their positioning of how what stories they cover and don't cover 
because it's just, it's not like they're tilting it intentionally. They're tilted to begin with. And, and again, you're not doing anybody any favors by always talking about the color of the person. It should be irrelevant. What about just the humanity of that person? we've we've divided we're so divided now it's so sad and it's it's, no 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 i i i i don't believe it which part that it's sad or that it's that we're divided okay no i i think i would i think that we are not divided i think the media wants to keep us divided but if you you are socializing with people and you're you have friends of various backgrounds and uh, shades of skin and you are, have you see them and they're, they you see them as a human and you engage with them as another fellow you know fallen sinner and you're just trying to make men ends meet and you know connect with them on a much deeper level than something else that's you can't do anything about like skin color or race and religion eh, majority of people I believe are not caught up in that world. I hope not anyway. I respectfully disagree with you, Sherry. Sorry. Why don't you go take a math test? <laughs> I'll fail that miserably as well. Why don't you move, move some blocks around and get him to Did you have to actually manipulate the blocks with your hands? No, just on mine that? was oh, all on okay. a piece of paper, and it was it oh, was yeah, more okay. like, would this triangle fit into this? Or, you know, this is, yeah, and then right. it was kind of like a parallelogram, which I don't even know what yep. that is. Uh, mm-hmm. All kinds okay. of difficult by the way we're we're back to sherry's uh failed iq test by the way that's what that's all about (laughs) there we go the jack early sherry elliker show showing sherry elliker and jackie gleason who's getting the dry humma hummas remember that one dry humma hummas (laughs) i don't remember that no what Uh, is that that he uh, he had a speak at something and he got the uh, humma 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 yeah yeah I don't know okay. why we watch that show all the time my brother and I like why were we included in that sort of pop cultural sphere not quite sure that, uh, <clears throat> that was a little before your time I mean it was sort of one generation before you it was filmed in black and white on that one set in the kitchen sort of slash living room of Jackie Gleason of um, the, the Jackie Gleason show. And, uh, yeah, the Dry Hum Hummus. There's some great stuff in there. Lark Carney. And the Flintstones were based on that show. Yes, there you go. Very good. Hey, uh, yeah, back to other news. This What, what town did this happen where the people have the pizza shop? Columbus, Ohio. Ah, mm, well, apparently they're looking for some smart people. Oh, I, I laughed. I did laugh at it. Like, But I get it. I get the, where they're coming from, but I don't think it's, like, a bad idea. <laughs> that woman responding to our show or to this story i can't remember <laughs> probably this both. Is the, okay a pizza shop in columbus ohio puts up a sign that says they're they're hiring and they want non-stupid now hiring people. non-stupid people yeah. is written on a sign hanging outside of santino's pizzeria on the southwest side of columbus some customers not bothered by it i understand where they're coming from because just you know you want someone to work here that's going to comprehend what's being ordered or service um but it can be offensive um but i'm here a post on Facebook. wait a minute who's it offensive to and who's going to admit as a as a I, I dumb think... as a dumb person, I have to say, I'm really taken aback by that sign. 
I think it's anybody that gets offended by the word stupid. Okay. Okay, moving on. This book had more positive comments than negative. A lot of people saying they thought it was funny, which is exactly how the owners say they meant it. It's more humor than anything. It's not meant to like target anyone like that or be rude. Jaden Dunnigan has been working in her parents' shop for years. Thank you. She says finding good help has been difficult, which was a big driver for her family to choose that particular sign. A lot of people that we've hired has been a little bit not wanting to work. There's really no worth ethic behind them. So I guess that's the meaning behind the non-stupid. Dunnigan says someone called in a fake order of over 100 bucks Thursday night in response to it. It was about 10 pizzas, I believe. We made the order. He called back. And he actually ended up talking down to one of our employees, said that our pizza sucks, and he's canceling the order. Someone admitted to placing the fake order. Well, there's the lead. Who cares about the sign? Man orders $100 worth of pizza and then calls back and says it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Film at 11. In this Facebook post, we tried to reach out, but the account was deactivated. So what did the shop do with all that food? They gave it to the community. Since we don't really enjoy wasting food here, we always think... There's the other lead. Pizza shop doesn't enjoy wasting food. (laughs) Like others do. You know, we enjoy what we really enjoy is a nice afternoon of wasting food. Well, That's we really what we enjoy. It. Well, I, here, this is what a family you'll enjoy for a long time. Well, we make one sandwich for the customer, we make another one, and we just throw that one in the garbage because we enjoy ma- wasting that, food. That, you know, someone else in need is out there who can actually enjoy this food. Okay, there we go. I mean, I can't believe it. Who's going to have a problem with the sign? I would, if I was living down the street or I would live in Columbus, I would buy pizzas from those guys because I appreciate their sense of humor. And it is hard to find good people. We used to drive past this place every year on our way to Ocean City, New Jersey. I'm like, Dad, can we go there? Can we go there? We're starving. Can we go there? It looks like a nice restaurant. We're not going there. We're not going there. We drive by. It looks like a really, Dad, they've got like stuff out front, like toys and stuff. We're not going in there. And then one day we drove by, had a big sign out front, Cherry. It said, due to your poor patronage, we are closed. Well, I hope your dad was happy. (laughs) I hope your dad was happy they had to waste food. I hope he enjoyed them wasting food because that's what they had to do probably. (laughs) Thanks, Dad. Think about that. The owner puts the sign up, not just like out of business, but it's your fault. Due to your poor patronage, we are closed. Like your fault. Not that we were serving crappy food or the bathroom was disgusting or something else. It's your fault. You people driving by. Right. Don't take responsibility for it. <laughs> Why would you? When it's your dad's fault. I know, if he I had just stopped a couple times, and gotten takes. you a toy outside and a Something. food inside, they'd still be there fine. today. His fault. This, uh, if you are not getting paid as much as you think and you think you're smarter than somebody else, a new study comes out that says you're right. Those who get paid the most aren't always the smartest. Do we need a study on this one? No kidding. Uh, they yes. So this was a this was done in Sweden. So you always have to kind of take that into account when you consider these studies. And it was, um, I guess, there was about sixty thousand people involved in this study. And they studied men at eighteen or nineteen, and then what their earnings were between thirty-five and forty-five. They gave them mm-hmm. a pretty standardized intelligence test. 
And they found that the people in top positions making the most money weren't any smarter cognitively than people that were making way less than that. Now, they admit Mm -hmm. that these didn't account for non-cognitive abilities, such as, you know, being able to be motivated, social skills, all that stuff, which can actually help you enormously in getting advancement in in work. Um, But they do think that this is... Um, this is what they say. The decisions that top earners make are consequential for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. we as a society might want to have the right people in those top positions. I'm not sure if what that means is that we want to make sure we have the most the ho- people with the highest IQs. Eh, I don't know. I, you think at a certain point IQ, IQ counts for something if you want to get a job at that pizza shop in Columbus. And then the other part of it is there's other attributes that you have that maybe you're not the smartest, but maybe you're better at managing people or you're better at, you know, sales or something else that comes into it. They don't have the highest IQ. They have, have you ever taken an IQ test? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay, I won't ask the next question. <laughs> I, had I, have to. I, I did too. I, I, I had to take it for this. I took this test to get on this medicine for ADD and ADHD, which was really four or five days of testing. So I'd take an IQ. Very high in verbal. Mathematics and spatial relations and this other stuff, I scored, I think, 90-something. It's. I had the exact same experience. I don't remember yeah. what the test was for. In verbal, I was off the charts. Yes. In math and the other things, I was at a remedial level. I mean, I was I was below average, way below average on that. <laughs> they do, they do. I was below so, the chart. I yeah, was off the I, chart I, on the verbal thing, yep. and then the math thing. But then I yelled at her, "I'm so rich, I'll hire someone <laughs> to do the math for me." Yeah, did you do the uh, the shape thing where you had to oh, like? Yeah. I, associate, oh, I couldn't do around, any of them. I couldn't either. do anything. And she kept oh. handing them to me, and she goes try again and i said to flip it over make these things i go you know what you know what i can't do it i can't do it okay i can't do it she goes you seem to be getting upset i said yeah because this is embarrassing because she goes you want to try again you have 15 more seconds no and i just pushed the whole thing back at her and then i think i yelled something about being rich and (laughs) i don't need to do this i can hire people like you to do it for me (laughs) to move around blocks let me tell you something (laughs) i'm so rich i don't need to move blocks around okay (laughs) all right that's how rich i am all right move your own blocks God, was that embarrassing. Ugh. Ugh. Oh, yeah. More snow forecasted, huh? More snow on the way. Jacob, when's that starting? Tonight? Tomorrow? Uh, I'm not sure. Ugh. I uh, flew out of SeaTac on Saturday, Sherry. I got up at 2.30 in the morning and drove, drove, uh, Drove in there and uh, was supposed to fly out at 7 o'clock, would land in Reno at 9 o'clock, would take a nap for a couple of hours. Um, stayed at a crappy hotel, by the way, have you know? And then I would go do this auction. Well, the flight got delayed and then got delayed and got delayed and then it got delayed again and then got delayed again. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, my God, I'm not going to make it to Reno. So I called Nicole and she's like, okay, here's what you have to do. You've got to run down to the Delta counter. So I'm running the Delta. She goes, wait, don't buy the ticket yet because they just closed I-80, which is the road that you need because you're going to have to drive from Sacramento to Reno. They closed it because of snow. Don't get on that one. Run back to the Alaska Airlines counter and see if the flight is still there. 
So I start to head back, and then she calls back. They opened up I-80 again. Quick, get back to Delta. So I run back <sighs> to the Delta. And I said to the lady, do you have a seat? She goes, uh-huh. And she does that clicky, clicky, clicky thing with the typing and then goes, that'll be $1,800. <laughs> I said, I got to get on that plane. This is going yep. to Sacramento. Yep. So I'm going to fly from Seattle to Sacramento, get in the car, drive three hours, get to Reno. So I'm stressed and feeling sorry and I'm angry and I'm mad about a bunch of things. And as I walk onto the plane, I see this woman seated there in the front row there. And she looks very ill. I mean, really sick. And she's young. She's probably in her, I'm going to guess, late 30s. But because of this coloring of her skin and the weight loss, she looks like she could be 80 or 100. Little girl sitting next to her and her husband to the seat to the left. So it's one seat left and two on the right. He looks like he has the weight of the world on his shoulders. I touched him on the shoulder. I said, God bless your wife. He looked up at me. Thank you. I sat down. I thought, I don't have any problems. I got no problems. I don't care. I'll drive, right? I don't care. What does it matter? Get the car and I drive from Sacramento to Reno. I'm, I'm lucky. I looked at them. I watched because where I was sitting, I could see them. Just, oh my God, the pain I felt. And you could just see her sitting and just trying to, all the strength that she could have to sort of occasionally talk to her child. And it's, it's at those times where you realize if I just open up my eyes, just change the view I have just a little bit, just change the perception of where your life is in comparison to others. And all of a sudden the world rushes in and says, you know what? You don't have it so bad, right? And it was the greatest relief. Then I just figured, well, I'm on the plane. I'll get the car. I'll drive, you know, so it's three hours before I won't get the nap. But, you know, that's a little bit of Red Bull comes into play. So it was a wonderful weekend. That's great. And, I mean, your perspective can change on a dime. I know that when I was working at the station doing the traffic and I was working at mm -hmm. Metro traffic, there was a lady that um, cleaned up the place and she was the happiest person. And she revealed to me one day that um, she had a difficult life. She would clean another place all day long and then come into the building at night and clean this building. Her husband was disabled and was dying of cancer. Um, and she had to make all the money she could to be able to do mm -hmm. that. And, and for Christmas, she gave me a little keychain. Hmm. And I kept that keychain with me for years to remind me to shut up whenever I felt when I was complaining about oh, yeah. not, you know, having to, I don't know, I didn't like the color of my hair or some insignificant problem. Mm -hmm. I always held on to that, look at that keychain and it said, yeah. you, you are the luckiest person in the world. Stop it. Yes. There is a great commencement speech, 2005. Recommend this to anybody. It's called This is Water Water, by David Foster Wallace. Did you ever hear it? Yes. Yes. 2005, David Foster Wallace, This is Water. If you, I send that to my kids every year. Yeah. I know you don't, I know you're letting out, watch, guys, please watch this. Please watch this. Incredibly powerful. Really? Yeah. 
All right. We were supposed to talk about something else, but I thought I'd share that.